If I were to be honest with you, if I were to be honest with you, I can't get these cycling thoughts to leave. It's like my brain is cloudy and my heart is heavy and I'm trying to keep my head up. I'm trying my best, but this heaviness, it won't leave. This dark burden and it just shows up at my door like an uninvited guest. If I were to be honest with you, this guest is becoming all too familiar in my house. At first, it was a surprise, an intrusion, a foreign obstacle in my mind, but now it's familiar, it's settling in, and it's a wall that I've learned to live behind. If I were to be honest with you, I'm tired of the well wishes. I've seen the concerned faces, and I have felt the dismisses. If I were to be honest with you, I'm done. I've had it. I can't take it anymore. I can't take me anymore.
If you're happy about it, please clap your hands. Clap your hands. Yes. Hey, good morning, Cornerstone Online. Please, if you're watching this stream, please do me a favor. Go ahead and share it to five of your best friends that you know should be here but unable to attend. And good morning to everyone here. How are you guys doing this morning? Can you guys do me a favor? Look at your neighbor and say, how are you doing? Look at the other neighbors. They didn't get to give you a good response. Look at the other neighbors. Say, how are you doing? Listen, if you are here for the first time, where you at? Newcomers, where you are? All those that's here new for the first time, wave your hand. Yes, let's give them a big warm welcome. Well, if you are here for the first time, please text NEW to 21999. If you're new here for the first time, please text NEW to 21999. Listen, I'm glad that you're here because we have a special gift for you right outside these doors. If you go to the booth, it says start here. We want to give you a free gift, a free gift. So please, you know if it's your birthday today, you know what you're going to get, right? a free gift today so please make sure you visit us out there hey and this is important cornerstone is such a big church and you know it can be intimidating coming into all this and trying to figure out where do i fit but guess what we have a way that you can navigate through this all you have to do is text the word new text new to 21999 excuse me text the word uh next to 21999. We will give you the next steps on how to navigate and if you need a closer walk. 
this is also the best place the best place to be and you want to get a better understanding just go ahead and do that for me okay so Cornerstone can't move forward ministry without your charitable contributions. Your generosity makes ministry a little bit easier. It's easier when you come in, the lights are on, the music is playing. It's not as easy when it's dark. So we need your generosity. And thank you so much for being so generous. You can go ahead and text the word GIVE to 21999. That's all you have to do. You want to give? 2199 is the best way for you to do that. And we have some great kiosks out there in the back that can help service you as well. Amen? Amen? Hey, so we've been in a tough series. The struggle is real. And I know there's going to be some things you're going to hear today that's going to challenge your inner thoughts, but I wanted to throw this out there, and I'm sorry, team, but if you're having any feelings during the service, you can go ahead, text word prayer to 21999. Prayer to 21999. But we do have a fantastic series coming up next, and it's called Save. Check this video out. I am a child of God. I will not believe this lie. For everyone who sees me and knows I am a fraud, there is no freedom without the one true God sabotaging my life. I am a captive. I do not believe we are going to make it. My finances, my marriage, my family. I surrender any chance for things to change. If there is an enemy determined to attack, I see him. Hands outstretched, grit in his eye. He's right in front of me. Where's this Jesus when the world walks all over me? But then I see. When the world walks all over me, where's this Jesus? He's right in front of me. Hands outstretched, grit in his eye. I see him determined to attack an enemy. If there is any chance for things to change, I surrender. My finances, my marriage, my family, we are going to make it. I do not believe I am a captive sabotaging my life. Without the one true God, there is no freedom. Everyone who sees me and knows I am a fraud, I will not believe this lie. For I am a child of God. Hey, Cornerstone. How we doing? All right, so right in the middle of our series uh, on the struggle being real when it comes to some of the emotional things that we go through, and today we're going to tackle uh, the topic of depression. But before we begin, though, real, real quick, uh, when you came in, we attempted to hand you one of these. Uh, you refused to take it because you were pretty sure that it was a tithing pledge card. And you were like. 
It isn't. Uh, it's actually a really powerful tool for your life. Uh, I think you're going to really want one of these. It's going to be something that is helpful either when you're dealing with depression or somebody else is. So if you did not get one, if you will just raise your hand real quick, we'll make sure uh, that you get one. You're not going to want to leave today without one of these. The other piece is, is that I'm just going to apologize up front. There is so much on this topic of depression, there's no way. There's just no way that I'm gonna cover it all. And some are gonna walk out of here, especially if you're familiar with, and say, Lynn, you didn't mention, and you could have said, and you're right. Just put it out there at the beginning. But here's what I tried to do, I attempted to do today, was to look at uh, some of the mistakes that we make in depression that only make depression worse for us. And then secondly, what are some of the remedies? What are some of the decisions and things, the actions we could do in our life that would actually bring hope, that would show us light at the end of the tunnel in this topic of depression? And we're gonna try to wrestle that through together. Now, here's what you need to know. If somebody is depressed, it doesn't mean that they're a bad Christian. Matter of fact, if you read the Bible, you're going to find that over and over and over again, some of the most powerful characters in the Bible at some point in their life wrestled with depression. King David wrestled with depression. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrestled with depression. Uh, Jeremiah, one of the greatest prophets, wrestled with depression. Elijah wrestled with depression. And I'm just going to tell you that just because you have a season or because you go through a time where depression is part of your life, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. But here's what you need to know. That if you surrender to depression, if you just decide, hey, this is what it is and this is gonna be the rest of my life, I'm just gonna give in to depression. If you surrender to depression, you will never know God's best. And so the conversation today is what do you and I do to overcome? What do you and I do to start working our way out of depression? And there are some in the room who this is your conversation. There are others of us in the room who know someone. And my prayer and my hope is, is that you'll walk out of here today with practical tools to try to reach into and help the life of the person that you care about and love and is your friend. So here we go. Uh, grab your Bibles. We're going to go to the book of Ruth. If you're not uh, familiar with the book of Ruth and you actually have a physical Bible with you, just go to the very front. Uh, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Ruth is a fairly small book. Don't go too fast. Here's why we chose Ruth. Because she wrestles with depression. Uh, there's a season of her life that absolutely everything she cares about, everything she values is lost to her. And in that season, she gets into deep, deep depression. And you and I are gonna have the opportunity to look about not only how that happened, but here's what we're also gonna discover in the life of Ruth, that on multiple occasions, she chooses in her depression to do the wrong thing, to head in exactly the worst possible way. And here's what we're going to discover today, that depression is dangerous because depression lies, and that if you're wrestling in depression, there's going to be a dialogue in your mind. There's going to be something that happens in your heart that says, here's what you ought to do next 
in your depression, and it is literally gonna be the worst thing you could do in your depression. It'll be the wrong direction to go. Maybe this helps. So if you're in a lifeguard school, uh, one of the things they'll teach you is that if you're swimming out to help somebody that's drowning, you try to approach them from behind. Because if you approach them from the front, the intuitive thing, the thing that somebody who's drowning naturally does, believes they need to do, is they try to climb up on top of the person who's rescuing them. Inadvertently, they drown the lifeguard and then they drown themselves. So they'll say so much so that if you get into that life and death struggle with someone who's drowning, punch them in the face. Knock them out, it doesn't matter. Because what they're doing is what feels natural, but it leads to death. And guys, here's what you and I need to be aware of, that in the midst of depression, especially if you're here and struggling, what's gonna feel intuitive to you, what's gonna feel like the thing you have to do in the midst of your depression, leads to greater depression. And so we're gonna identify those behaviors, and then we're gonna say, how do you remedy that within your life or somebody else's life? So here we go. Uh, we're gonna dive into the story of Ruth because she does three things radically wrong in the midst of her depression. Here we go. It's uh, Ruth chapter one, starting uh, in verse one. Here's what it says. In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So there's, there's a famine going on in Israel. They say, hey, there's not one in Moab. Let's go live there for a little while. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, the main character of the story for us. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephorites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and they lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. One of them was Orpah, not Ophrah, that's that's another sermon. <laughs> One of them was Orpah, and the other was Ruth. And after they had lived for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, understand the moment. This isn't about Naomi just being extra fragile or Naomi uh, misinterpreting her circumstances. Her life has been absolutely disrupted. Everything that she has cared about the most deeply has become loss in her life. And she finds herself in depression. And in her depression, she's about to make three classic mistakes. Mistake number one, go down to verse 11. But Naomi then says to her uh, daughter-in-law, no, I need to fill you in for a moment. So word has come back that things are better in Israel. And so Naomi has nothing left to keep her uh, in Moab. And so she's planning to journey home. Her two daughter-in-laws are planning to go with her. Verse 11, now Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, 
even if I had a husband tonight and they gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. So you understand the first moment. She begins to isolate. She says to the two remaining people in her life, go away from me. She pushes them away. And what you need to know is, is that one of the most intuitive, natural things that's the lie of depression is, I don't want anybody else. Nobody else understands me. Nobody else gets it. They're only gonna be a distraction and a weight upon my life as I try to explain to them why I feel the way that I feel. And people who live in depression naturally want to isolate from others. Matter of fact, uh, there's a psalmist in scripture going through depression and here's how he describes it. He says, everybody has left me and darkness has become my closest friend. It's interesting that amidst a depression, very often people will close the shutters, turn off the lights, and sit in darkness alone. I was talking to a friend of mine, and we were walking through her uh, bout with depression, and she said, Lynn, I can't tell you how many times I would simply go into my bedroom, go into my closet, have turned off all the lights, would hide behind my clothes, and there was something about that isolation and aloneness and darkness that felt safe. And guys, you just need to hear me. It's the wrong response. It leads to a downward spiral when you isolate. Back to the passage. Let's start again, let's go to verse 12 and start again. And she says, return home, my daughters, I'm too old to have another husband. Uh, even though uh, if there was still any hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, then gave birth to sons, would you actually wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. And ready? It is more bitter for me than it is for you. You simply lost husbands. I lost a husband and I lost both of my sons. And the second thing that happens in the midst of depression is that we begin to focus on everything that is bad and everything that is wrong. See, when, when I'm in a good place emotionally, I can stand here and I can see some things that aren't so great. I can see some disappointments going on in my life, but I can see the things that are good. I can, I can see my marriage that's solid and I can see the job that I have that anybody else would wanna have and I can see how wonderful my kids are and there's a balance to my life. But in depression, I turn and I can no longer see the things that are good in my life. They're still there. I still have an incredible marriage. I still have great kids. But all I can see is what is wrong in my life, what is broken and disappointing in my life. And I become focused on whatever I've lost and whatever has hurt me. I remember... Uh, I had been serving at a church and I, I had faced horrible, horrible unfairness. And yet in that church, it was a church that had status. I, I had a really large youth group of kids. 
and I was forced out, I ended up going to my next assignment and the church was literally filthy. I mean, you would walk on that campus and think, I, I wonder if they have ever used a mop. Uh, there would be light bulbs that had never been, I mean, it was just absolutely uncared for. And I went to my first youth group meeting and they had stuck us out in an abandoned house that sat as part of the church's property. And there we were in the living room where they had left stacked uh, supplies from a former campout. And so we met in there in the midst of the mold and the smell, eight kids. And I'm just gonna tell you, all I could see is what I had lost. All I could see was the disappointment of the unfairness that had happened and the status that had been taken away and the group that I had worked so hard to build. All I could see was the loss. What I could not see and did not know was that God would raise up the greatest youth group I had ever led out of that little moldy living room. But in the midst of depression, all I can see is what has disappointed me and I cannot see what is still good in my life. Back to the passage. Verse 14. Uh, at this, uh, they wept out loud. Then Oprah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates me from you. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was astir because of them. And the women exclaimed, could this possibly be Naomi, our good friend who left so long ago? Has she come back? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Now here's what you need to know. Within that Oriental culture, you gave people names that were a mark of their life and of their personhood. Naomi means pleasant. It had been her story all the way up until now. But now she says, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. And the word Mara means bitter. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. You understand the moment. She's saying, hey, my, my life has so changed that whatever was true of my past cannot possibly be true about my future. This thing, this loss, this, this disappointment is forever it's never gonna change. My entire life story is now bitterness. And guys, what you need to know is that one of the lies that we believe in the midst of depression is that this is forever. Whatever has hurt me, whatever has disappointed it will never be okay again. 
Remember we said a couple weeks ago that anxiety is facing something that's just wildly too big for me. I go, I don't know how to solve it. I don't know how to fix it. And so we become anxious. But we said anxiety can lead to depression. Depression is when there's something that's too big for me, a load I can't possibly even think about how to carry. But I've tried, I've wrestled with it, I've done my very best, and now I'm exhausted. I have no more energy to fight it. I have, I have no strength to push that rock up the hill. And so I simply resign myself. I surrender to the idea that this is my forever. It will never change. I will always live the rest of my life with this loss. It's the lie of depression. So how do we help someone? How do we encourage someone? If you're in depression, where, where is the light at the end of the tunnel. Here we go. Remember that the first thing that, that Naomi started with, she starts isolating. She starts pushing away the people in her life who were closest to her, the ones who had the greatest opportunity potentially to help her uh, in her life. And here's what you need to hear if you're here today and you're wrestling with depression. One of the most powerful things that you could do, reach out. Reach out. Don't push away, reach out to someone. Someone that you look at and say, you know what, uh, they may not fully understand my depression, but they're a good friend. They would do their best to help me reach out. And here, here's what, if you're struggling with depression, this sounds impossible. It sounds unbelievably hard to reach out and say, hey, I, I need your help. I need you to be with me. And, but I, I'm telling you, it's what is required. It's what is essential when you're struggling with depression. Notice in the story that when Naomi tries to push her daughter-in-laws away, Ruth says, I'm not going anywhere. I'll stay with you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I'll die with you. And guys, I'm just telling you that some of us have friends who are wrestling with depression and you need to be their Ruth. You need to be the person that says, I, look, I, I, I'm here and I love you too much to walk away from you. I choose, even though you're pushing me, I choose to walk with you. I am your Ruth. If you ever looked and noticed that uh, over and over and over again, we encourage you to join a group around here. We say, hey, join a small church, join a small group, join a men's ministry, join a women. Guys, we don't do that so we can take a head count. We do that because we know that if you're in a group of friends, people whose lives have molded against yours, that when the hard time comes, those friendships will be the things that sustain you and keep you from dropping into depression. Matter of fact, here's what Scripture says. Scripture says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Look, when my load gets heavy, it's always easier if somebody's helping to carry the other end of the load. It's friendship. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. 
but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So I'm just saying, if you're, if you're a person who's struggling with depression, you've got to do what's on, you've got to reach out for the one. If you're a person who's not in depression, live your life in groups, live your life in groups, live your life in groups, because there will come the hard day that two will be better than one. Second thing, Naomi says, hey, uh, this is my life. This is what's happened. Matter of fact, she says to her daughter-in-laws, you understand this is worse for me than it is for you. I mean, you've only lost husbands. You're still young. You can still remarry. I'm old. What man's gonna want me? And God has forsaken me. And in that moment, all she can see is the loss. Here's what Psalms says. I should set it up for a minute. In Psalms chapter 13, David is having his own wrestle with depression. Matter of fact, if I were to read Psalms 13 to you right now, you'd say, man, he is frustrated out of his mind with God. How could God be this unfair? How come the unrighteous are winning? How come God hasn't answered my prayers? How can my life be this dark? And as you get to the end of Psalm chapter 13, about the time you think that David is gonna write God off, here's what David says. I will sing of the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You get what David just did? David, as he stood there and thought about all the disappointment of his life, all the things that were wrong in his life, all he could see was that he had the courage to turn and look back over his shoulder and remember that God had been good. To see the blessings that God had brought in his life, although he may not feel like he was experiencing them now, he could see them in his past. And he said, it brings me hope for my present. So remember, we gave you these when you walked in. It's I choose to be, to, to have gratitude. And here's what we're gonna challenge you to do is to simply go into this and begin to write down things that God has done in your life that are good that you're grateful for. Here's why. Gratitude and depression cannot live in the same person. You cannot be grateful and be depressed. And you cannot be depressed and be grateful. And, and if you're, Right now, in the midst of depression, this is gonna be hard for you to, you, you may have to write things as simple as, I'm grateful the sun came up today. Because it's gonna be hard for your heart to think of things you're grateful for. Some of us are in the room and you're like, I'm not in depression. Then you need to do this just as much because when that moment comes, you get to pull this out and have this book filled with the goodness of God and the things you're grateful for and all of a sudden depression passes. I, uh, I started to fill this out, and I mean, I just started, that was just the things I was grateful for with Lisa, my wife. I mean, I just, I filled two pages just like that. So I had like, Lisa loves Jesus. Man, I like that about her. Uh, Lisa loves me. I like triple like that about her. <laughs> Lisa tells me what I need to hear. Lisa has lived beside me in ministry. Lisa is wonderfully generous in meeting my physical needs. Okay, you're freaked out right now, so I'll, I'll just stop right there. 
<laughs> but guys, I'm just saying, depression and gratefulness cannot live in the same person. And one of the most powerful things you can do is begin to talk about the goodness of God in your life. Third thing. Naomi, remember she changes her name. She says, hey, don't call me pleasant anymore. I mean, that's, that's my old life. Call me Mara. Call me bitterness from now on because that's the rest of my life. This thing is forever from now on. And that's not true. It's not true. And if you're living in depression right now, what you need to know is your loss is real. Your disappointment is honest, but it's not forever. It's a season. Matter of fact, Solomon, one of the men we talked about that lived through depression, wrote this. He said, to everything there is a time and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to weep and a time to laugh. And you may be in a time of weeping now, but that's not, there'll be a time. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And guys, one of the lies that we tell ourselves, that our friends tell themselves when they're in the midst of depression is, this is my forever, and it's not true. It's a season. A few uh, weeks back, our women were in this very room for a thing called Remix, and the speaker that night was a gal by the name of Megan, uh, Megan, Megan Fate Marshman. Thank you. All right. And one of the things she did is she walked them through what I call a season exercise. And I want us to do the same thing together today, to remind our hearts that whatever I'm living today is not forever, it's a season. So here's what she did. She described four seasons for everyone. Season number one, fall. Fall is when I'm facing change, right? The leaves are dropping their trees. The season is changing. And some of us right now, we're going through a season of fall. Uh, maybe we just retired recently, and so my work life is changing. Maybe, maybe my kids just moved out and were empty nesters for the first time, and life is changing. I don't know what it is, but some of us in this room are in that season of change, and change can have some anxiety too, because you go, well, what do I do in this season, and how do I behave in a season of change? Some of us are going through winter, and winter is hard. In winter, it's hard to see anything that's alive, anything that's flourishing or good. Winter feels a lot like death. And winter is the place that it's easiest to go to depression. Some of us are in spring, and spring's a time of new. Uh, maybe you've just moved here. Maybe you've started a new job, or you've started a new school, or you've just had your first child, or maybe you just got married, or you just started a new relationship. And new has all sorts of questions. It's, it's filled with hope. I hope this new thing is gonna be wonderful and amazing, but it also has a little bit of hesitation that says, I don't know for sure, it's new. And then finally, some of us in this room are in summer. Summer is when the sun is on your face 
When, when you are basking in the goodness of God, you're just like, God, I don't know that God could be any kinder than he is right now. I don't know that my life could be any better than it is right now. Man, I am living in summer. And so here's what I want us to do together. I want us to be the church together today. And I'm gonna go back through the seasons. And if that season is your season, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And then we as your brothers and sisters are gonna pray for you and pray for your season. So if you're here today and you go, you know what, it's fall for me. Things are changing. And I don't even know what change fully means. I, I've retired, I, I'm an empty nester, I've moved somewhere, I, it's change. And I'm trying to figure out what change means. And if you're in the fall right now, would you just stand where you're at? Just go, it's fall for me. That's what's going on, it's fall. Thank you. Thank you for having the courage. So here's what we're gonna do. We're just, wherever we are, we're gonna pray. And if you're close and it's your friend, feel free to hug them or put your hand on their shoulder while we pray. If you're a little further away and you may not even know them, just stretch your hand out, say, I'm praying for my brother. I'm praying for my sister. They're going through a season of change. So here we go, bow your heads, you begin to pray for those that are closest and most around you. I pray for my brother, I pray for my sister. They're, they're facing change and change has questions and change has uncertainty. And God, will you be with them in change? Hey, dear Heavenly Father, God, I just ask that in this season of change, your presence would be so powerful and so real and that you would literally guide footsteps that as we navigate change, every footstep would be ordered by you and that you would take us to where we're supposed to be in this season of change. Amen. So go ahead and sit down. Some of us are in winter. And it's just hard. It, it, it's hard to see much good right now. And it's heavy. It's winter. And if you're in winter right now, would you just stand up and say, it, it's winter in my life. That's the truth of my life. We're gonna pray. We're gonna pray for our brothers and sisters who are in the midst of hard. So let's all bow our heads, you reach out toward them. Pray for your brothers, pray for your sisters right now. Let's be the church. Oh, dearest Heavenly Father, and we pray, we pray for these who are in winter God, would you remind their hearts that it's a season, that you haven't forgotten them, you haven't left them, that even in winter, you are with, before and behind and alongside of them. God, would you give them the strength to just put one foot in front of the other, and when that strength begins to fail, would you give them your strength to endure? winter. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of us are in spring. It's new. 
It's a new job, it's a new child, it's a new relationship, it's new. And new has hope and new has hesitation. And if you're in a season of new, would you just stand up where you're at? Go, you know what, Lena, I'm just, I'm dealing with new. Hmm. All over this room. So here we go. We're gonna close our eyes. We're gonna pray for our brothers and sisters who are living through new. Dearest Heavenly Father, God knew feels a little confusing because there's hope and then there's the unknown of new. And God, we just ask, would you be in the new with us? Would you take this to something that is wonderful and amazing? Would you take us to a moment where we can look back and say what was new is now the blessing of God in my life, the joy of God? in my life. God, make new abundant. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, for some of us, it's summer. And here's what you need to know. If it's summer for you, we're not gonna be bitter with you. Uh, we're gonna rejoice with you because you know what your summer reminds us? Is that there are summers. And that we too have the likelihood that at some point we would just say, man, God could not be better. God couldn't have been richer. God couldn't have been more faithful to me. I'm in summer. So if you're in summer right now, would you just stand? Hmm. Hmm. Okay, let's pray again. Pray for your brothers, pray for your sisters. Thank God for summer, for them. Oh God, thank you for reminding us of your goodness. Thank you for reminding us of your blessing and encouraging us that there is summertime. And so God, we thank you for these brothers and sisters who are living in that moment right now where you have been good and kind and faithful to them and that they are simply enjoying a season of your absolute goodness. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name, amen. Here's what I want you to hear in the story of Naomi. The most powerful conversation we've had today may be this idea that depression's not forever, that it's a season. Naomi couldn't see it, but she ends up living it. She goes back home to Israel with Ruth. Ruth is absolutely committed to Naomi. She goes out every single day into the field. She picks up what little bit of the harvest that the harvesters have dropped. She brings it home and she takes care of Naomi and watches over Naomi. One day when she's out gleaning in the fields, a distant relative sees Ruth, is interested, dates her, and then marries Ruth. The interesting thing is in the culture of the day, when a woman was a widow, her husband had died, and then she remarried. The first child was considered the child of the dead man. They raised up seed to him, which meant, you ready for this? That Naomi received a grandchild. 
through Ruth. That grandchild would end up being the grandfather of King David, the king who would bring the greatest season of blessing and wonder to the nation of Israel came through the lineage of Naomi, the woman who believed she had lost everything. So much so that the friends of Naomi looked at her and said, Naomi, have you considered Ruth? She's better than seven sons for how she has taken care of and loved you. If Naomi is in the line of David, it means she's also in the line of Jesus, which means you cannot tell the story of Jesus and not be reminded of Naomi. And a God reached down to a widow woman who had lost her husbands and sons and redeemed her life, restored her loss, and made the final story greater than the first. And guys, I'm just telling you, seasons. Let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are and thank you that depression is not a life sentence. God, would you help those who are struggling today to reach out to at least one friend? Help us to be the friend who reach out to one. God, remind us that this story isn't a forever story. And God, could we in this moment be mindful of the goodness that you have been to us? Could we allow gratitude to fill our hearts so that depression can't? And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're just gonna go ahead and give our praise up to the Lord. Whatever season we're in, he deserves it all, he's worthy of it all. Hey.
church, do you believe these words? Sing, come on. Sing, come on, my soul. Hold on to get shy on me. Lift up your soul. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Sing, come on, my soul. Hold on. alive. What an awesome time and celebrating and singing that out together. I hope you sang it. I hope you sang it loud. I hope as you sang it that you believed it and that you can feel that in this moment and the rest of your week as you go, our God keeps hope alive. If you are struggling with depression or anything going on in life, any mental health issue, we have support groups, we have counseling, we have resources, books, we have lots for you in order to support you on your journey. All you have to do to learn more about that is text the word support to the number 21999. And if you want someone to pray with you, we would love the chance to do that. Just text the word prayer to that same number 21999 and someone's gonna reach out and spend some time praying with you. Thank you so much for being here. Come back next week. We have another powerful week as we're going to talk about suicide. We hope to see you there. We hope it encourages you. And if you know somebody struggling, would you share this so that they can join and have the same hope that you and I have already.